What's up, citizens? How we doing? Good to be with you guys tonight. Hey, next week is not only October, it's the first Wednesday of October, which means it's first Wednesday. It's going to be fun. It's going to be brand new. And I need to see you decked out in flannel. I need to see you ready for fall, ready to have some fun, and ready to uh, invite a friend. All right? That is next week, first Wednesday. If you said you forgot, you're a liar because I said it like eight times already. All right? Go ahead and open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 40. Uh, Genesis has lots, lots and lots and lots of chapters, if you didn't know that. And the story of Joseph, uh, it, it spans so many uh, years and decades of, of history, and it also spans many, many chapters of uh, the book that we call Genesis. So flip open there right now. And um, I love this story so much. I wanted to go through this passage for so many years. It just didn't seem to fit ever. And now it seems to fit perfectly. And I'm super excited. Um, we worship a God who's always on the move. Let me say that again. We worship a God who's always on the move. God is always up to something, even when you and I can't see it with our eyes, even when we can't hear it with our ears, even when we can't like figure out what's happening before us. Uh, God is always doing something. Uh, God is the ruler and sustainer of the universe, but more than that, he's the ruler and the sustainer of your very life. God doesn't exist in some like cosmic space like reality where he like kind of knows who you are and he kind of like has the general gist of what you're doing. He is very intimately aware with all the details of your life um, because I worship a God and you worship a God and you know a God uh, who is bigger and, and, and stronger and more powerful than we could even begin to fathom with our minds. And so moments like that and realizing and understanding that and singing that should change the way that you and I live. I love the story of Joseph because the story of Joseph is actually not about Joseph. It's about God. And it's about God revealing himself to us. Uh, it's a narrative. It's a historical narrative. So yes, it actually happened, but also it teaches us a lesson for today. Um, God is revealing how he delivers his people and how he sustains one man named Joseph. And he actually prepares Joseph to be a mechanism of deliverance for his very people. But Joseph has to go through some stuff that kind of is not awesome. Uh, who is here the past two weeks? All right, what have we learned about Joseph's life so far? He has this big promise. God says the sun, moon, and the stars. He has this wonderful dream where he has a vision of ruling over so many things, uh, even his family. He's the youngest of his brothers at the time, and he has this vision to rule over them. All right, he has this grand vision given to him by God, and then all of a sudden his brothers betray him. Wah, wah, wah. His brothers throw him in a ditch. They sell him, and now he finds himself in a foreign land. And then things get a little bit better. It seems like he's gaining prominence. The Lord's with him. The Lord is uh, letting everything that he does succeed. And then all of a sudden, what happened last week? He does the right thing. He flees from sexual temptation, yet he still finds himself thrown in prison at the end of the day. And that's where we picked up. Uh, that's where we pick up tonight. That's where we were last week. The story of Joseph is the story of God's deliverance of his people. And I love the story of Joseph because it's a God story. Uh, God's story is so much different than the stories you can, I, I can tell. If I were to picture a story of God's epic love for his people, if I were to picture a story about God's deliverance, if I were to picture a story about God moving and working in powerful and miraculous ways, I couldn't have begun to even think of the story of Joseph as a human being in my human mind. And it's so much more epic and it's so much more amazing. It's a God story. And that's why we need to study it. So I, I took like 
I don't know, I dabbled a little bit, if that's the word. Um, in college, I tried to uh, write short stories a lot. Um, I tried to just like, I, I thought one day, I was like, maybe I could like write books. That'd be super fun to do, just like write stories, fictional stories. Uh, and I realized I wasn't that good at it, so I didn't, I, I didn't continue that any further. But I always was fascinated by stories, how I grew up watching movies and with my parents and my siblings, and I just loved storytelling. I loved these awesome epic tales that people could convey on the big screen. And I was like, you know what? That is going to be super cool to do in theory. So I grew up thinking I wanted to like write scripts or write books or whatever. Um, in college, I had all of my friends, for whatever reason, all of my friends were like film majors in school, which means they're unemployed right now. But... Um, I'm just kidding. Most of them work at McDonald's, but I'm just kidding. Again, it's just, you're like, I wanted to go into film school. No one made fun of me. Do it maybe. I don't know. Um, anyways, um, I'm not going to comment on it, but um, live your dream. Do, do whatever you want. Duh, um, all my friends are like film majors and they were actually like really good at it. So, and they always wanted to go out and make movies and stuff. Me and my friends would all start like the filmmaking process. We would all like start stories together. So me and my roommates would get together. We'd brainstorm. We'd have all these ideas. We get so excited about it before we even wrote an ending and we just go out and start filming stuff. All right, it's not a great, great thing to do, right? So we'd like skip class, we'd skip stuff, we'd drive to the middle of nowhere to like film this scene, and then we'd kind of get into an argument about like where the thing should go. So we'd like have the characters, you'd have the setting, and then it's like, okay, how are we gonna end this thing? And like the camera's out and the lights are up, and then we're just kind of like, we did like a little like writers, directors meeting, slash actors, slash everything, because it's like a college film. And we kind of get together, and I'm like, okay, what if? There's a time change at the end. I was always a big advocate. So like, I'll like, I like all like the Christopher Nolan movies. And so I was big on like shifting the time. I'm like, what if we did like a flash forward into the future, but it reveals that it's actually we're living in the past. And my friends are like, please stop talking. So do not do this to us, right? And then like some of my friends would be like, what if we just like killed the guy? Like the guy like fell off a cliff. And I'm like, okay, no, that's a really lazy way to end it, right? All right. And there's all these stories. And um, we were really good at writing stories, but we had a lot of fun. Uh, the best stories is always where there's something happening in the background that you don't expect. And human stories, you know, stories that we tell each other, stories that we can come up with can only go so far. Um, but I love the story of Joseph because it's a God story. What do I mean by that? I mean, God is always working in every single detail of Joseph's life, even when he can't see it. Even when Joseph can't feel it, even when actually the opposite seems like it's true, God has forgotten about Joseph. God's stories are the best stories because he is always doing something when you and I can't see it. And if you and I paid attention more, we would recognize and see that God is moving and doing miraculous things all the time. And that God is always constantly working in all of our lives, even when you and I don't see it. And then tonight, we're going to see the continued story of God's deliverance of Joseph and his preservation of his people. So God, be with us as we dive into this chapter, as we dive into this story. And we love you. We're thankful for the time we get to share together. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we pray. Amen. All right, so we know where we were at last week. Pick up at verse 1 of chapter 40 of Genesis. This is the word of the Lord. It says this. Sometime after this, after Joseph's thrown in prison, after uh, the Lord is still having all the things that Joseph does succeed, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their Lord, the king of Egypt. That word Lord there, lowercase l, that is not the word Yahweh. Obviously, this means master or 
um, uh, king or ruler, obviously, um, against their lord, the king of Egypt. The Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Of the guard. <clears throat> uh, this is where Joseph is. Look, it says it right there. In the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. This is setting the scene for the continuation of the story. I want us to focus on verse 4 and verse 1, a repeated phrase there. Sometime after this. Sometime after this is verse 1, and then at the end it says, they continued for some time in custody custody. We can't just breeze by these words. Sometime. We know from the account of what we see next week that the time Joseph spent in Potiphar's house and in prison spanned the course of 11 years. It doesn't specifically tell us like the breakdown. So it could have been three years in Potiphar's house and eight years in prison. It could have been six and five. We don't know the breakdown, but 11 years. Let that sink in for a second. Joseph is far from home. The last memory he has of home is his brothers betraying him and throwing him in a pit. Joseph tries to do the right thing. He does do the right thing. And his reward is being wrongfully accused and thrown in prison in a foreign land. At this part of the story, Joseph is at his lowest. He's in prison and he's far from home and everyone thinks he's dead and there's no way of him to communicate the truth. There's no way for him to communicate with his loved ones. This is what it means when it says sometime. Picture this. Imagine being separated from the people you love, the comforts that you have for 11 years and then more after this. Think of the people you'd miss. Think of the simple luxuries that you wish you could have. Think about the the common language that you had with the people of your homeland that you can't speak anymore. Think about all these things. And this is where Joseph's at. You see, the author of the story has exclusive rights over the pacing and over the timing of the story. The author of the story has the exclusive right to say exactly when and where and why things happen. God is sovereign. We've talked about this the past two weeks now, three weeks. God is sovereign, which means he rules over everything, even when we cannot understand what he's doing. God's sovereignty commands time for his good purpose. We cannot demand his timing to fit into our desires and plans. God sovereignly rules over time and he uses time as a tool. God exists outside of time. And he uses it as a tool for his good purposes and what he wants to do. You and I, friends, the characters don't have any say over the timing of things. The characters in our story, in the story of Joseph, have to submit to the timing of the author. We cannot ask God or allow God or force God into a box where our preferences, our desires, our time frame fits into whatever God has for us. God is sovereign. And for some time, Joseph is here in the lowest of the low. It's easy to breeze through this and not picture the weight that these 11 men plus years are in this man's life. The lonely nights in prison, wondering if he just said something different, if he had just gone a different way. No, but the Lord is still there. 
The Lord is not absent in Joseph's life here. If you're anything like me and you were to write the story of your own life, all right, if you had complete ownership and sovereignty over your life, right, the like, sure, there'd be some conflict. Sure, there'd be some challenges you need to overcome, but that'd be like a really, really short part of the book, right? I think we'd all say, and then like most of the book is like, and then everything was great forever, right? But we're not the author of our own stories. Joseph is completely subject to God's rulership and authority and sovereignty over all things. They continued for some time in custody. But what does Joseph do in prison? This is the scene. We've got two new characters introduced here, the cupbearer and the baker. And uh, both of these people would have been close to Pharaoh. Both of these people would have played a vital role in protecting Pharaoh, right? They're feeding him uh, food and drink. Um, Any sort of assassination attempt could have potentially happened through poisoning. And so these guys would have been close. They committed an offense. We're not sure what it is. But now these guys are in prison with Joseph. How does the story continue? Look at verse 5. And it says, And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? You ever see someone in like first period and they just seem tired and you go, why is your face downcast today? That's a new word. That's a new little line for you to use, right? And you're just like, I didn't sleep last night. And you're like, your face looks downcast. I mean, for real. Use it as you will. Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, listen to this. We've had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. This is a divine opportunity in the story of Joseph, in the lowest of the low. Picture this coincidence, right? And I use, okay, picture this coincidence. Two guys are now in prison and they had these dreams. And they're like, man, no one's here to interpret these dreams. Joseph, have you ever had experience with dreams in your life? This is like God teeing up something amazing happening right here in the lowest of the low. So oftentimes in life, we think that divine appointments happen on our time frame, right? Divine appointments or divine opportunities don't always happen at the most opportune time. Opportune time, I think I said that right. Um, But they happen more frequently than I think we imagine. What's a divine appointment? What does this mean? What is a divine uh, opportunity? It's when God is actively working and moving in a story that ultimately results for his glory, These moments uh, don't always happen to us in our lives at the most opportune times, but they happen more frequently than I think you and I imagine. Like, this is just like God, like, teeing up just like a really easy opportunity here for Joseph, right? This is just God clearly working in the middle of a difficult and dark situation. Look at the character here. Look at what Joseph's doing. He saw that they were troubled. He asked them, why are your faces downcast? He speaks to them. He says, tell me, tell me these dreams. Joseph is still trying to impart positive change in the middle of a difficult situation. Joseph is still uh, trying to impart positive change in the middle of the lowest of the low that he has ever been in. He has his eyes and ears open to all the opportunities that could arise in this moment. 
when life gives you like a bad hand, when things don't pan out the way you wanted them to, it's real easy to be like, well, I just, you know, I don't want to play the game anymore. It's real easy to just take a step back and say, hey, man, I, you know, I've got my own stuff going on. This has been just an entire disaster for me. I'm going to sit this one out and just believe that God's forgotten about me. That could have been the temptation of Joseph in this moment. But in the lowest of the low, he is still looking for movements of God. And he is still expecting and waiting that God is going to do something good. Because when you and I uh, believe firmly that God is the sovereign ruler of the universe, that God cares about you, that he loves you, even the most, the biggest setbacks in your mind actually might be opportunities for God. Think about that. When we believe that God's sovereign, when we believe that he's the ruler and sustainer of the universe, what we call setbacks, what we call obstacles, God can use these things for his glory. And God does use these things for his glory. It's not in moments of strength where we get stronger. It's in moments of weakness when God shows his strength. And that's what's happening here. Joseph is weak. Joseph is tired, he's lost, he's confused, and he could believe that God's forgotten about him, but God hasn't, and God uses this moment for a divine opportunity. A very unique thing that happens here in the Old Testament, the interpretation of dreams. God uses the, the weak. God doesn't use the strong. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you are in a low spot in your life, God can still use those moments for his good. When you're in a low, like you're just in a spot where you're like, man, I do not know about this day. Those are the moments where I feel like those divine opportunities just kind of pop up. We need to view life like this. We are not supposed to walk around feeling like in strength, therefore I can now do the will of God. Now I can respond to the things God has before me. We can respond in weakness. So okay to wake up in the morning and say, I'm tired, I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm not happy about this situation. We can look to impact positive change in a negative place. Remember, Joseph was promised so much. He had this vision, the sun, moon, and stars. He's looking around at a prison cell. But he doesn't say, oh, forget this. I'm done. I'm out the door. This thing didn't happen. What is he doing? He's caring for these guys. So he's one, he's been put in charge over them. So God's favor is clearly still on his life. He sees their trouble. He asks them and he asks them to share their dreams with him. You and I can impart positive change in the worst situations always. Sometimes I think God puts Christians in difficult spots, not just to refine us, but that we can make the situation better. All right? God... It's not an accident. Where you're at in your life, the school you go to, the hallways you walk down, I don't believe that these are just random. I don't believe that that's how God rules the universe. I believe that God has placed you somewhere for a reason and a purpose. And God may have put you in that situation to help bring about positive change. If you're in a difficult school, you hate it. You think it's the worst school of all time and you just want to quit. Maybe you need to open your eyes and ears and look how you can make it better. If you're in a difficult home situation, open your eyes and ears and look to see where God is moving and look to try and make it better. If you feel like you're in the suburbs of the world's worst sinful city, the most sinful city in the country, just a couple blocks away, uh, right across the river, look around you for opportunities to make it better. This is the call of the Christian in ushering in 
in the kingdom of God. Far too often, God is giving us opportunities that we see as setbacks. Far too often, we see obstacles, but God's giving us purpose. Far too often, often we dismiss our current circumstances and look to the future. But God's opportunity in your life to create positive change happens right now in front of your eyes. Keep them open. Listen, follow the Lord. If God has brought you somewhere, he is going to use you for something. Be useful. Partner with God on mission. The prison, these people, this time, it's not a coincidence. It's providence. This is the story of Joseph. This is the entire thing. And it's unfolding before our eyes right now. Your situation is not coincidence. It's providence. It's God providing for you. It's God bringing things into your life for what? His glory in his timing. So how does the story go for these two characters that Joseph meets? Pretty well for one of them. Uh, Let's continue. Verse nine, it says this. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, shot forth. The clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup on Pharaoh's, uh, in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. Three branches are three days, and in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly you were his cupbearer. Verse 14, this is so important for the end of this, this message. Only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen from the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. So Joseph interprets this dream. He says, hey, you're going to be restored to your office. Pharaoh's going to find it super well with you. Just a small like token, like just for payments. Just tell Pharaoh about me, please. All right, let's see what happens. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable. Okay, so the second character, he's like, whoa, this guy's getting out of prison. Maybe I can get out of prison. We'll see if you know the story, you know where this is going. And he said to Joseph, I also had a dream and I also would like to get out of prison. There were three cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. Three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. Everyone say, oh. All right, I'm going to read it again, and then we're all going to gasp. In three days, Pharaoh will lift your head from you. Is he talking about what I think he's talking about? And hang you on a tree. Everyone say, <gasps> gross. Oh, I hope this doesn't get any more graphic. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. Everyone say, gross. Things are not looking great for the bread maker. Bread guy, more like dead guy. All right, verse 20. I mean, they're all dead now. It's just in the story. But on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, everyone say happy birthday, Pharaoh. What does this guy do for his birthday party? He made a feast for all of his servants and lifted the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. 
but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Is this one of those moments where like you forgot about the test and you're so stressed? Or is this one of the moments where like you forgot to take the trash out and like your mom was like, why didn't you do that? And you're like, I forgot. I think it might be the second. How could he forget? He forgets about Joseph. Joseph's like, hey, one, one thing, still in prison. And now I have no people to talk to. Joseph got forgotten about, but God hasn't forgotten Joseph. This is where the story ends tonight. Joseph's still in prison. The cupbearer forgot him. God doesn't forget. The cupbearer forgot him, but God doesn't forget. This is a story of dreams interpreted. What I like about this passage is that Joseph's actions in this stories aren't dependent on any rewards. Joseph's actions in these stories aren't dependent upon the platform that he has. He is in the lowest of the low, yet he is still partnering on mission for God. Rather than using his, uh, he, rather than uh, trying to use a platform to partner with God, he is exactly where he's at in this moment. And whatever God brings in, he is going to listen and obey. Again, this isn't the sun, moon, and stars bowing before him. This isn't his brothers bowing before him. This isn't him ruling over a great land like he was promised, but he still does the right thing. Our actions to do right or to do wrong cannot and should not have anything to do with other people. We don't do things for God to gain the attention of man. We don't do things for God. We don't serve God. We don't follow God on mission in order to gain earthly possessions. We don't do any of that. We follow after God because it is the right thing to do and he has empowered us to do so. Your opportunity to do the right thing to God, to say yes to the call of God, to uh, respond to these divine appointments in these moments should never involve other people's opinions, feedback, or approval. Serving God, doing the right thing is exclusively about two things, your heart posture before God and your obedience to God. It's, that's it. It's your heart posture before God and it's your yes or no to God. Other people are awesome and we love living in community, but at the end of the day, the things that you do for God aren't dependent on your platform. It doesn't matter if you're up here leading on a stage or if you're alone in your house and you're, all you have to do is to influence your brothers or sisters. Um, God's uh, favor on your life isn't dependent upon what platform you have. God's uh, call on your life is to be obedient and it doesn't matter if you're in a prison or if you're in a throne room. God's call on your life is to be obedient. And Joseph is obedient and he gets left in prison. And you're like, when's the story get better? Stick around for a few weeks, I promise it'll get better. God gives us opportunities to say yes to him on a daily basis. Far too often we look towards the future. But God's called you to be obedient right now. Our actions cannot be dependent on our circumstances. Joseph's aren't. He's obedient, he's listening, he's got his eyes open, and he responds in the positive. In the pit, God gives him an opportunity, and Joseph responds. How do you respond? Right? I don't know about you, but like, if you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you're like, I, some days I'm just like, whoa, you know, kind of woke up grumpy, and that's about it, right? <laughs> My day's ruined. 
I feel grumpy this morning. Our circumstances cannot change our affection, our attitude, and our obedience towards God. We have to follow after him. A true test of character is doing the right thing in the most random and the most seemingly insignificant spaces in our lives. That's a true test of character. No one's looking around. You're not going to get a pat on the back. No one's going to say amazing job. True character is you doing the right thing before God. And I'm so thankful there's so many people in the room who want to serve God with their lives. But I'm telling you and calling you and reminding you that we have to serve God on the hilltops and we need to serve God in the valleys. We need to serve God when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. And this is the main idea of the passage. God is always working to achieve his purposes in his time. That's the main idea. That's the thing I want you to know. That's the thing I want you to walk away with. God is always working to achieve his purposes in his time. In God's timing, in God's plan, it belongs to him. It's God's timing, it's God's plan, but it's now your turn to set your attitude and fix your heart and your affections on him. Very simply put, you have two responses to this truth. If God's always working and he's always achieving his purposes in his time, you've got two options. One, you can mistrust or you can don't trust God. You can choose not to trust God. What does that lead to? It leads to anxiety, it leads to apathy, and it leads to just an overall not not caring about the things that God has called you to do. It leads to you thinking that you're the Lord of your own life. I think I know what's best on this one. I think I know the timing. I think this should happen here and now, and if it doesn't, I'm going to be really upset about it. You can mistrust God. If this is true, if God's always working to achieve his purposes in his time, that's something you could do, or you can have faith. You can have faith in the author and you can know he's writing a much bigger story than you could ever imagine. So much of the Christian life is faithfulness every single day, only to look back on years of your life and to realize God has been doing something that I didn't see until right now. That's the story of Joseph and that's the story of every Christian. In your life, you're going to have moments where you're tempted to think, what's the point? I'm not getting what I thought I wanted. This isn't going the way I wanted it to. Clearly, God's lost his favor. God's always working. God's always moving. God is always achieving his purposes is his timing. You can mistrust or you can have faith. What does faith lead to? Faith leads to genuine worship of God and purpose, knowing and understanding that God's way is the best way. God, I don't know why this happened, but I know you're in control. I don't know how or when this dream will come true, but I know that you're in control. God, I don't know when this will be over, but I know that you're in control. It's a simple prayer of faith. God, I trust you. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for the time that we get to share together. I pray that for the people in the room who uh, look at this story and they wonder if their life is, is anywhere near where it should be, I would, I, I would, I would ask, Lord, that you would remind them and bring to mind the things that you have already spoken in your word. I pray for uh, all of us in the room who uh, are tempted to say, and tempted to look at our lives and think, okay, I can be unfaithful with the little, or I don't need to uh, follow God right now, or I don't need to obey God right now, but I will in the future, and I will one day. God, I pray that you would remind us that um, our obedience isn't dependent upon our circumstance, God. And I I pray that, of course, uh, in this space and in this time, we would recognize 
that we always have an opportunity to respond. We always have an opportunity to trust. We always have an opportunity to choose uh, to worship you. And so I pray, God, for the person right now in the room who, uh, that's them, and they, uh, they, they have to choose today. I pray that you would give them the strength to do that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.